Hello, everybody, and welcome to Knights of the Pageless Library. I am Bo Knight. And I am Ryan Knight. And today we are taking a look at Roadside Picnic, uh, written by. Oh, man, do you know how to pronounce these names? No, I was going to tell than you Boris, good luck. <laughs> I know their last name is Stragatsky. Stragatsky? But... So the first. So you got Boris Stragatsky and. Arcady? 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 I know th- that's way too Japanese. He's Russian. Arcady. Uh, that's a tough one. And. Uh, Greg. I don't know. <laughs> Olena Bormashenko? Yeah, the tri- which was the, the original translation is attributed to. Right. Married and then. By Robert Foster. Or Forrester, my bad. Forrester? Robert Forrester? I think, I think it's Forrester. Forrester, even though there's no E in between the R and the S. But I think that's still how it's pronounced. Sounds good to me. And if we're wrong about any of that, somebody please email us, uh, kotpl.pod at gmail.com, and let us know. Yeah. So, yeah, as always, this book, we, we got it off of Audible. Please, I mean, this this book is very old. And if if you listen to this and you are interested, you can you can pick up the translated version for free on the internet. It's you can you can read it if you want to, but we listen to it through Audible, and, and I think the version that we listened to was published in 2012. The book was originally written in 1972. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's not like a ton of info about these um these two authors mostly because obviously what they write is normally in russian so they only have a couple books available on audible um that are translated into english so they kind of are pretty sure they are pretty prolific like in that eastern block like they have a lot of books that are well known it's just like not a lot of them have made it over here oh sure yeah and We'll talk about that a little bit towards the end because I think some of this stuff has to do with the fact that obviously it's written in the country of Russia, which has a, you know, there's a little bit of stipulations there. So, yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about Mr. Robert Forrester. What, uh, what did you think about his performance in this? I like it a lot. Okay, I also am putting him in possibly my top five narrators. Oh, good. I I don't know why I thought you were gonna be like, and he sucks, and I was gonna be like, <laughs> no, no. I'm putting him in my top five uh, narrators. I think. I I, I think thought, he does an excellent job. I think he, without getting too spoilery, he complements this book very well. I, I really think that with the way he sounds, the way he reads, his tonality and everything just fits the setting of this book to a T. It, it does. I honestly don't know if you could have gotten a better narrator to be on. I mean, obviously there might be, but to be honest, I think they they nailed it with this guy. I really think he does an incredible job in this. And... This guy's voice sounds like 
dumping gravel into a bucket, like into a freaking metal tin. Like he has that gravelly of a voice, which is so fitting. So exactly. fitting. It's it's yeah. perfect. It is. So yeah, so this book is it's a sci-fi fantasy book. I don't even because that's that's even kind of reductive. I guess we'll get into it a little bit more. And it is it's only uh, seven hours and how much like forty minutes of that is the authors kind of explaining how what they had to go through to get the book published. And so that's not all like continuous story itself. The story itself is only about six hours long. Yeah, so I'm looking at it right now on my phone. It's like the last uh, 30 minutes is what explains that. I was close for guessing. You were close, but yeah, so about 30 minutes of that is mostly, yeah, the author explaining kind of what they went through to get the book uh, published and translated and all that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, and you could get this book for free. If this was your, if you were signing up for Audible, this could be the, one of the books that you choose, or you could buy it for twenty four dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, which is kind of expensive, actually. It is, but at the same time, I get it. I mean, I do too, but it—that's a pretty steep price tag for only a seven-hour book. I mean, realistically, six and a half hours—that is kind of a steep price tag to me. It is, but I'll get into why I think that's fitting here in a minute. Fair enough. Uh, So what do you think? Um, Easy to follow? Easy listening? No. No, and... I think it is the strength of it, though. Okay. Fair. Um, I also am going to say this is not easy to listen to uh, or easy to follow at all. If you, I, I was going to say it's easy to listen to. It's yes. not necessarily easy to follow. Correct. That's And that's kind of what I meant. Yeah, it's not easy to follow. The story uh, is rather confusing. Um, I don't know if it, I would say it's confusing. I just well, think there are – I and I, I, I want to know how much of that is like the translation things. But this book isn't going to like sit you down and be like, hey – that thing he just said, that's that's really important, and they're not going to mention it again. Right. That doesn't happen at all. Yeah. And I don't I don't know. I feel like I've already given away too much how I feel about this already. Okay. Um, it is easy to listen to, though. Like, like we've already said about uh, Robert Forster, he does an incredible job. So he really does keep you sucked into the story. Yeah, dude, um, listen to his voice. Makes me want to drink some vodka and smoke some cigarettes. <laughs> the... Uh, I'm by uh, not so easy to follow, though. I mean, like if you miss a sentence or so, you're going to need to go back and listen to it again. Otherwise, you will find yourself completely lost as to what's going on. Some. okay. this is I I know I've said this before in the past, but this is not a book. I think that you can even get 50 percent of what's there if you listen to it once. And I would say that's a fair thing to say. And spoilers, I guess, but like I, I listen to this book three times, like back to back to back. And that's impressive. I listened to it twice back to back, <laughs> mostly uh, because I felt like I didn't get the full grasp of it the first time through. I felt like I missed 
um, some important stuff the first time through. Well, this book kind of does the thing of like it puts you in someone's head and he uses phrases that you don't like when he's using them for the first time, you don't really know what he means. Sure. And and yeah, it is it is kind of, it can be a little confusing, and there and there are a lot of specific things that have specific names that are just kind of like thrown around casually before they explain what they are. Right. Yeah, because um, they're basically dropping you into this world of this book, and they're not holding your hand. They're like, no, we're going to talk about all these things that are common knowledge to us, and yes, that's, you're that's just going to have to listen. That's right. the perfect way to put it is like they, they talk about these things like you already know about them. Right. Which, to be honest, in some books, I hate. I hate when they do that sometimes. And but, we've talked about this before that to me, a lot of sci-fi, especially sci-fi books, can really suffer from that because they start talking about their freaking Fandangle Flubergaster and you're like, and and then nobody ever explains it. And so you're you're literally left wondering the whole time. You're like, what is that? What is it? This book does a better job, though, about... Well, at this some book point, doesn't even do that. It kind of shows you what the things do. Sure. It doesn't... It. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm already like going to get into spoilery stuff. At some point, though, in this book... What's better, though, is they might talk about a Flabberty Flubergaster, but in passing, someone will explain what it is. You just have to catch that in passing explanation of it. Right. Cause right. I, or, it, or like some clarity of some names and stuff like that. Right. And I just – there are definitely a lot of sci-fi books that they they drop in – heavy into like the sci-fi nomenclature like oh we're talking about lasers and force fields and anti-gravity and blah 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 and it's like that's great but you could ease us in a little bit like <laughs> especially if you're going to be taking those well-known things and then changing them into like you know painting your own world you gotta kind of Lube it up a little more than that. You can't just freaking dive us right in there and not, and then expect us to know what's going on. This book does a good job, I think, of introducing these concepts to where you're like, okay, I'm completely lost. And then it goes back, and it's like, this is what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so recommendations? Recommendations. I will go first. Um... I was on the fence about this the first time I listened to it. Then I listened to it again, and I was like, "Okay, I get it. This is a this is a really cool book." So, uh, I am going to. I'm not gonna highly recommend this one to just anybody though. Um, I'm gonna highly recommend this to fans of science fiction, and um, fans of. Like, people who don't need, like, a high drama, you know, every paragraph is action-packed type of story. Because this is not that. No, so, it isn't. I mean, for people who are okay with that, for people who don't need, like, a thriller-type novel, I I'm going to say this one is a... Like I said, if you're a fan of sci-fi, this is definitely worth a listen, for sure. 
I absolutely adore this book. I'm not going to lie to you. I couldn't get enough. Like, I, I listened to it three times in a row because I didn't want to listen to anything else. Like, <laughs> I I was obsessed with it, and I still kind of am. I'm, I'm working on, like, another – a fourth just listen for fun at this point because I, I really – love this style of book that just kind of sets up a lot of intrigue and a lot of mysteries that aren't necessarily gonna get answered because they don't really need to get answered right like there's a lot of like set dressing in this book that isn't necessarily important but it but it's still really cool that it's all there sure because really this this is just a story about a man Doing the only thing that he knows is re- is really what it's about, right? It and it's very interesting too because it almost is playing on like a like a repeat offender, somebody who um, uh, like they get thrown in prison maybe because they they committed like an armed robbery. They go to prison, and then they get out of prison for armed robbery, and they're like. Well, I don't know how to do anything else other than armed robbery, so I'm gonna do it again, like because right, that's the, exactly. that's all they know. Right, and I mean, there's there's a lot more insidious stuff in this book than that, but but as Ryan said, I don't think this book is for everybody. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can recommend this to a lot of people. But if if you like sci-fi, if if you like intrigue, and if and and if you're okay with like a slower paced book that kind of like drip feeds the information to you, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things for you to like here. Sure. Definitely. Um, but yeah, as as I said the first time, I don't think I could safely recommend this to like everyone. I'm not no. gonna say anyone anyone and everyone should pick this one up. I think this is a pretty niche, um, kind of a niche market here for sure fans of sci-fi though do yourself a favor and listen to this one yeah i i could not recommend it more especially like if you if you liked like solaris or area x i think you'd like this too yeah there you go that's solaris especially is the one i was Solaris for sure yeah which is also a russian book strange oh interesting (laughs) um Okay, so with that, there you go. You got our recommendations. Now we're going to go ahead and pass the spoiler wall and talk about the story a bit. So if you find yourself intrigued and you want to listen to this, uh, pause the podcast, go listen to the book, then come back and listen to our thoughts about it, and then please email us what you thought. Yeah. Oh. So what do you think about the the very beginning, the, oh, the first opening segment because really this this book is split up into like five sections if you count the introduction right so when you're talking about like that very first opening the the interview with dr pillman yeah um so and that's just kind of where they're talking about like his thoughts on the zones right like what he thinks happened to not even really like they're so okay so the book opens with an interview with dr pillman and they kind of established that uh, i can't remember how long ago it was it was like it was like a couple years ago there was this event happened and they call it the visit 
and it created these zones where like basically the laws of physics don't really make sense anymore and like very little is understood about them but they they know they well, I mean they think they know that we were visited by aliens and it caused all these sorts of weird disturbances like in in six separate places throughout the world and this book is is focused on one specific zone there in Harmont which right. it's it's like a fictional town it's and it's not really said where it's at but this book is about so these zones are cordoned off and this this book is about these these people known as stalkers who go into the zones and collect artifacts and bring them back out and sell them right we should also mention that the the zones so like this book doesn't take place like, oh, the visit happened yesterday. Uh, we're 13 years, right, after the visits right. took place. Um, and the visits, when they happened, nobody nobody can describe what, like, what actually caused it. Nobody necessarily saw or can explain the arrival or the departure of whatever caused this phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's not really understood, and but it was all it was only for a couple moments, as far as I understand it. Like they they explain like kind of what happened to a couple other people. Like a bunch of people in these areas died immediately. Some of them they they claim they heard thunder so loud it made them go blind. Right. Which which when I heard that the first time I was like, oh, what? Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like. And so, so there's just like lots of weird stuff, and 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 it's always referred to as the visit. Like that's just kind of what people assume is that aliens came to Earth for some unknown reason, and there's all these there's there's so they they like left a permanent mark on Earth in these areas, and these areas are full of not necessarily full, but there there are things in these zones that like defy everything that we've known about science yeah it's alien technology for sure the the yeah that's it's... sort of what the so at this point like i said so it's it's 13 years after the visit which the so the zones are no longer like uh um like you said, they're cordoned off, so they know the edge where the perimeters of the zones and stuff are. Well, uh, the, do the zones actually have like a perimeter? Like it, it looks different where the zone starts. Right. So they they've established all that. So we're like I said, we're we're not talking about it's like the Wild West where there was a gold rush and everybody's going in and out of these places. This place is like strictly limited to government um like scientific uh explorations of them at this point well and and pillman's even kind of annoyed that that's what they want to talk about when they're interviewing him it's like it's like this like the the zones to a normal human like the visit didn't really have a big impact like the only people that are really affected by this are the people who who lived in these areas at the time that it happened yeah and and still to this day who live next to them yeah, who live like so? Yeah, like Harmont is still an inhabited town, and that's where they have the uh, like these 
big science depots set up to do research on the zone that's there in Harmont. And we're, we're only going to pretty much focus on Harmont for, so anytime we say a zone, that's the one we're talking about. Cause it doesn't jump yeah, and, around in the story. We, we only get like mentions of other zones, mm-hmm. but it, it does it almost doesn't even matter. Right. And so the first big section of the book like where we kind of get to meet our main character, Fred, uh, Redrick Shuhart, who everybody calls Red. Well, his friends call him Red. Yeah. <laughs> and he is he's a he's a really experienced young stalker, and like he he he's been going in and out of the zone for years. But he's he's when we first meet him, he's trying to clean up his act, and so he actually has a job at the institute, and so basically he's like a stalker that gets paid now. Kind kind of. He doesn't really get to go in and out of the zone as much. He he's a lab assistant to this guy named Kirill. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah, Kirill. Yeah, and 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 I love the opening scene. Of so yeah, Kirill is a scientist, and he is studying these things called empties, which are basically like two big. I don't like. I guess I I imagine them as copper, but they might not be. Like two big discs that are always a set distance apart, and you can't force them together, and you can't force them apart. Like no matter what you do, they're just yeah. are static in this, and they call them empties. Right, because if you yeah. if you pick one up, the other one always stays parallel to it, and mm-hmm. it looks like if you had a can, and just the top and bottom were there, and the rest is clear inside. You're, and you're, you're spoiling it already, though. <laughs> Well, that's what they. That's why they call it an empty, though, because you can put your hand in the middle of it, and you like. There's nothing there. There's nothing in between the discs. Yeah, and so they, yeah, and Red Red really respects this key girl guy, and and you can tell right away like Red's kind of a hothead, and he's like one. Of, he's coming into work, and one of the guys calls him Red, and he's like, "You don't know me like that. You don't talk to me like that." Yeah, and he, the guy's like, everybody calls you Red. And he says, my friends like, call my me Red. My friends call me Red, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I like Red. I find him really, really endearing. Cause he, yeah, you he's, get a he's lot just of like character the common building. man. Yeah, and you get a lot of character building with Red right off the bat, too, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. And so, like, Kegel's kind of lost because they, they've been studying these empties for years, and they're, they're not making any progress at all. Like, nothing. They have discovered nothing at all. Yeah, and, and they're so, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, and they're doing like any weird experiments humans could come up with to these things. They're trying to crush them. They're trying to blow them up. They're putting electricity to them. They're putting heat. They're putting cold. It, and they can't do anything to them. They're like yeah. nothing affects these things. Yeah. And so red to try and cheer up Keegrel, but also like he kind of has his own ulterior motives at the same time. He he kind of like casually brings up the idea to him, like, why don't we go into the zone and get a full empty? I know where one is. Right. And and so so Red like kind of convinces him and he's like, Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's let's do it. And then but then so they're gonna go into the zone the next day. But Red gets accosted by the authorities because Red is known as a stalker. Like he's people in the town know him for that. And and one of the things I actually really like about this book is like when it comes to the section, it tells you who it is, like who it is, and what their occupation is. Right. Which which is kind of important 
but in and so in the beginning we we hear like red lab assistant and so he like he he goes to the borscht i think right and he he gets accosted by i can't even remember the guy's name but he like he's like yo you like we we know you're a stalker like you have to stay away from the zone at all costs and so he's like fuck i can't i can't go into the zone with key grill and I, he's like i don't want to let him go in there by himself he'll he'll end up killing himself because i mean we'll come to find out that like literally moving three inches to the left in the zone will kill you like if if you go the wrong way right but you know he 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 kind of he goes to work the next day and he's like Keegrel I can't go and he's like what do you mean I have permits this is all above board because Keegrel knows about his past but he doesn't really care yeah but so he he convinces Red and then they they kind of argue about who to bring and Red's super particular because he he knows how dangerous the zone is and he has to like he he has to kind of be in complete command of everybody. Like if if someone were to panic, it can lead to everybody's death. Right. And so yeah, they they like suit up, and they like get ready to go into the zone, and they have this cool truck, which is it floating? I yeah yeah it yeah floats. that's yeah that's kind it's of like what a I took it into this it's floats. like a hover hovercraft thing almost is what it sounds like. Yeah, and so so they like, and and like when you first go into the zone, he kind of. He kind of explains that there's like there's like a a border where you can tell where the zone is. Like he even says he's like at least the aliens were nice enough to co- like to coordinate all off for us. Right. <laughs> and so we we go into the zone and like immediately like it's super eerie. It's it's so off-putting. Like it's so alien to even just be in this place. So what I what I pictured while I was listening to this is like the um the shots you always see of like Chernobyl where you can tell people lived there at one time, but now it's all just, it's just abandoned. It's been abandoned for 13 years, this entire area of a city basically. So, and for some reason, wherever you see shots of Chernobyl, like the area seems to be just like a different color than everything else. Even though it's, it really isn't, but you get that sort of, like everything's just like its own kind of gray color, like dull, bland color, essentially. That's what yeah. I pictured while I was listening to this. And and it's weird too because like there are things in the zone that have completely decayed, but then there are things in the zone that are completely pristine at the same yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't even really there are so we get our first like when they're driving along, he because Red had already kind of partially mapped out how to get to this full empty, but he hadn't he hadn't made it all the way there, and so there's like part of the journey that he's not quite sure about, and they come up on a bug trap, which is like I don't even it's it's like an area of really high gravity, but basically the way I understand it is like if if a human were to touch any part of it, it would it would like it would just flatten you. Yeah. Well, and it's like, so is it high gravity to the center of it, or is it high gravity to the ground? I never understood that part. It's it's high gravity to an unknown point. Oh, okay. It, it's not necessarily the center. Sure. Like I don't even. But like, like, if you were to if you were to walk like 
into the edge of, we'll say it's a circle, if you were to walk to the edge of it, would it pull you to the ground or would it pull you towards the middle of the circle? I think it would pull you to the ground. I think it would suck you in. And, okay. and it might pull you to the middle. And then but, down. But like but, almost but like there, a... there is something else too that comes up later that's not the same thing as a bug trap. Right. Okay. So anyway, which I love, Red kind of maps out the shape of this bug trap with bolts. He like throws them. And it's described as like they fly normal until they hit a point and then they drop yeah, like, straight okay. down. Okay, yeah, that never mind. You're right, and I should have thought about that. Yeah, because he says like he throws these little bolts. You know, I'm picturing like little five sixteenths or quarter inch bolts, and yeah, they hit the edge of that, and then it pulls them down, and then they hit the ground almost as if they're like a large stone. That's yeah. the sound they make because their their uh, weight is multiplied so many times. So yeah, so he like maps out how it is and they go around it and then they come up to a point and like this is kind of where his experience comes into play he just gets a really weird feeling and he's like he he thinks that they should go right but he just gets this weird feeling and he's like no we can't go that way we have to go the other way well and like from the very beginning you you find out as soon as they get in the zone that red red because he's so experienced, he like he can almost sense the bug traps, whereas other people yeah. can't. He that's how he knew in the beginning. He's like, "There's a bug trap up ahead." That's when he starts throwing the bolts to map out the shape of it. He knows it's there. He just can't sense the shape. So we get this idea how experienced he is right within this first little like 45 minutes to an hour of the story, which is really cool. Yeah, and. I I almost get the sense that Red has like an unnatural ability to sense these mm. things in the zone. Okay, sure. That yeah, that kind of makes sense. I, I, I mean, we'll get more into it later, but like we you'll you'll learn that like a lot of the way a lot of the reason they know so much about the zone is because people died. Yeah, yeah, and and Red, that's realistically why red knows so much about the zone himself <laughs> yeah it's because he's watched a lot of people die right i also like too how they're wearing like the fancy suits from the research institute mm -hmm. and red's like these are useless he's like they don't save you they don't help you sense things he said these are pointless i don't un un even understand why they wear them yeah and red kind of has a thing with like alcohol too like he he like drinks in the zone and and it's kind of like a known stalker thing that they like they like kind of like take nips from the flask while they're in the zone. Yeah. Mostly to kind of calm his nerves, I think. <laughs> I, I think I think it is like a calming nerves thing. Yeah, like kind of maybe to like to steal your resolve. Sure. So they they make it up to the warehouse where Red knows this full empty is. And Red kind of, like, scopes out the place. But he sees this, like, strange, like, shimmering light. Like, it it almost looks like spider webs, kind of. That's what I pictured when he talks about it, yeah. Like, dang, I, I, I like, almost get the, the vibe almost. that it's like, yeah, yeah. But, like, I don't, but Red's like, oh, man, like, I don't, I don't really know what that is. I'm, I'm not too sure about it. And so, he... Not to interrupt you, 
but uh, almost like what I picture is like um, spider webs, but almost like tinsel that you would hang on like a Christmas tree. Because yeah. he says he, he catches reflections of it, and then it goes away, and then he catches reflections again, like almost like it's uh, like tinsel. You know, sometimes you might not be able to see tinsel, and then it, it moves and it catches the light just right, and so it looks silver. That's kind of what I pictured. So Red and Keygrill go into the warehouse, and Red is so used to working by himself that he doesn't he doesn't warn Keygrill about the the like fuzz or like spider webs that he's seeing. And when they go to pick it up, Keygrill like brushes his back like ever so slightly against this. Right. And and like I'm, and Red's kind of thinking about it. And one of the things I love about this part is that they they like load the, the empty up in the in the buggy or whatever it's called. I can't remember what it's called. But it 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 drives them back in the same exact way that they came in right which i thought was cool so that also is kind of your first indication that like this is also not taking place uh like in the 70s this is also a type of future you know things are different in this world than they are like right now yeah technology is a little bit more advanced yeah and so so they make it back and everybody's like cheering them on and and red's like what like like shut up i've done this so many times it's not a big deal yeah he's like annoyed red's very like cynical because people get you know they're all excited for him but at the same time red is always like talking to himself like they just don't know what it's like they don't they've never been in the zone they don't know what it's like to be in the zone like and and when they're when they're like undressing, Red like makes it. He like looks at Keygrill's back, and he like he just wants to make sure that there's like nothing wrong. And there's not, right? Visually, it, it yeah. looks it looks completely normal. Right. And so yeah, Red gets cleaned up, and he takes a shower, and then he runs into that same guy that had had accosted him the night before, and was like, "What were you doing in the zone?" He was like, "What? It was all above board. I went in." Like with permits through the institute, it's all it's all it's all good. Yeah, he's like, I'm completely legit now. Yeah, I'm completely legit. And we find out that Keygrill had died of a heart attack and in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is- Red Red goes back goes to the borscht right right after that. So he's there and he's already getting sloshed right after he uh after the when he went to the zone. Right. Yeah. He, yeah, he is. Yeah. So he's already pretty drunk. And that's when, yeah, we find out that that Kirill died. So then Red starts drinking hard because he thinks it's his fault now. He, you know, because he says he should have told Kirill about the about the stuff he saw or he should have told him, you know, convinced him not to go to the zone and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's pretty beat up about it because Kirill was like one of his only friends. Right. Yeah, and then the the cops show up, right? While mm-hmm. Red is just smashed drunk. Yeah, and so like yeah, Red uses something called a shrieker, which is, isn't like truly explained, but I get the vibes that it's like a flashbang and like some sort of noisemaker on steroids. So, and and the shrieker is something that they get from the zone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm I'm pretty sure 
like Redrick picked that up when they were in there. While they were in, right. Yeah, that's the vibe I got. The second time I listened to it, the first time I was like, all this stuff was completely over my head. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, he like tosses the, the shrieker in the bar. And so he like distracts everybody and he's able to get away. Right. And then we get this kind of like heartbreaking scene with Red and his girlfriend Gouda. And she's pregnant. But she's thinking about getting an abortion because stalkers are known to have strange children. And, like, they're, yeah, they're known to, like, have, like, high mutations in their children. Right. Even though the zone has no radiation. No detectable radiation, yeah. Yeah. Um, she doesn't want to get an abortion, though, right? Her mom wants her to get an abortion. Yeah. Yeah, basically, like, her mom she, wants her to leave him. Yeah, she wants to keep the baby. So, and he even, or, sorry, Gouda, she even tells Red, she's like, I'm keeping it no matter what. Even if you leave, I'll keep it myself. Yeah, so, and I'll raise it, I'll raise it my damn self. Yeah, yeah, she's very insistent that she's gonna keep it. Yeah, and, but they, so they end up, they decide to get married. And so then we come to section two, which is, a, it's like, I think Red is 25, or is he 28? It's, it's quite a few years down the line. He's 28. It's five years later. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, we, we come to, uh, like, a couple, a couple years down the line, and it, it even says, like, Red, no known occupation. Yeah, the... The, the titles of each sort of part are very descriptive. It says, Redrick Schuhart, 28 years old, married, no known occupation. Yeah. And we, so Red has decided to go back to stalking, and we open with him and this other man, and something is very clearly wrong with this other guy. He's, like, screaming his head off. And they're, like, kind of laid low, waiting to see if they can escape. And we meet this other guy, and his name is Burbridge, the Vulture, and he's another stalker. And something has happened to his legs. Yeah, and, and Burbridge is a – he's like an older stalker, right? He's an older – both an experienced stalker and an older guy in general, right? Yeah, he is. Okay. And like, so what happened to Burbridge is he – accidentally stepped into something known as hell slime and it's dissolving his leg bones right <laughs> yeah which is brutal yeah so he can't he can't walk obviously under his own uh power and he also has red feel his legs so red like grabs around the knee and it just basically feels like mush like his leg yeah, feels like disgusting dude. mush inside so yeah it's pretty pretty interesting yeah and and so the vulture like red is thinking about just leaving the vulture i mean that's kind of like what you do when somebody is injured in the zone you just kind of well even getting injured is kind of rare because most of the things just kill you yeah i was gonna say you rarely get injured in the zone you usually either survive or you die there's not much middle ground and the vulture is able to to convince red like red because he's like i'll give you the maps i'll tell you just how to get there like like i'll i'll give you everything that you need in order in order to get like to get when they don't they don't really talk about what it is yet but he's like he's like i've seen it with my own eyes i'm the only one that's seen it i'm the only one that knows how to get there 
I can t- I can show I can tell you how to get there, but if you leave me here, it'll be lost forever. Right. And, and Red, kind of against his better judgment, takes the vulture out of the zone, and they're able to sneak out, and they they have to immediately take the vulture to this guy named the Butcher. I can't remember his real name, but he he is a doctor that specializes in human conditions from the zone, like right. things that happen to people from things out of the zone. Yeah, so a lot obviously the stalkers know him, but it's a very like like Red takes Burbridge to the butcher directly to his house. Like there ain't no clinic. They go right to his house and you know, basically Red drops him off and he's like, Yeah, he got into the hell slime, hits his legs. So and the butcher's yeah. just like, All right, okay. Sounds good. Well the butcher good. knows what that means. <laughs> yeah. And the butcher though, he's like this old man but he's very like He's like, okay, I, I, yeah. I got him. I can handle it. Yeah. Uh, so from there, Redrick goes home, right? Yeah, he, he like hides the, the swag in his car in this like really elaborate way. He has like this fake gas tank and he like hides the, the stuff in there, puts some garbage on it, and then like puts some fish on top of it to make it so make it look like legit like they were really fishing. Yeah, fish that uh, Burbridge had bought from out of town like that day. Basically, that was going to be their alibi is that they had just gone fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is kind of where we start hearing about Redrick's daughter, who he calls the monkey. Yeah, because he goes home, right? And he, and he tells Gouda, he's like, I got some fish. You're going to need to cook it up. Yeah, yeah, but he's that's... like, yeah, I got to cook it up. And they kind of have like a little discussion about what happened to uh, the vulture, right? Yeah, but then so so then we actually get to meet the monkey, who she is like a she's just a, she's a little girl. She seems totally smart. She like she just wants to talk to to Redrick, but she's like completely covered in hair, and her eyes are entirely black. Yeah, so she kind of looks like a monkey so that's what yeah, they call yeah, it yeah I, I mean not now but later they just they like talk about her her hands are like paws yeah yeah and then the fact that obviously her entire body all the way up her cheeks and her her legs all the way up they're covered in this short hair blonde yeah. short blonde hair yeah so so then Redrick goes and he meets with these guys to sell them the artifacts that he's found right so this is this is the bread and butter of what stalkers do they so he gets home he takes all his his swag in he dumps it all out and he counts all the things that he got out of the yeah and he like he like writes up a like a like how much it's going to cost them right but he even at this point has stuff that nobody else has ever seen right that's what i was going to say most of it he knows what it is other stuff he's kind of like setting off to the side. He's like, even I don't know what this stuff is. Mm-hmm. So, so and then yeah, he goes to the the hotel and he's gonna go talk to the the guys to sell the artifacts that he brought out. Um, yeah, but he, and, he doesn't actually have what they what they what they specifically sent him in there for, which is hell slime. Well, he has it, but he doesn't want to sell it to them. Right. 
Because that's how Burbridge got hurt, was them trying to collect this hell slime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Reddick's like, I don't have it. You guys don't. Yeah, I don't have it. You guys aren't going to have it. Because Reddick doesn't actually want to give it to them because he's worried that the hell slime doesn't have any good, like, any good uses other than to hurt other people. Right. And there's, they're kind of hinting that they are going to try to sell it to the military. Mm hmm. Which obviously is not good for anybody. <laughs> yeah. Because the hell slime is bad news. Because, and don't these guys kind of, um, they give it away by talking about other countries researching the same stuff, right? Like, right. talking about that's, they, they've heard the other countries are doing that. So they want to be the ones where they are to give their military that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Red, as always, he goes to the borscht and gets absolutely tanked after getting paid. Well, so I just want to back you up for a second because one of these things that he didn't know what it was, I'm picturing sort of like a a bracelet-sized ring, right? Mm-hmm. And he, so there's two guys he's talking to in the hotel. I can't remember their names right off the top of my head. It doesn't but really matter. He, uh, Yeah, so he gives them this ring, and he basically is like, I don't know what this is. And they're like, we don't know what it is. And the one guy puts it on. I See, I, so I can't, it must be smaller. It must be more like a ring that would go on your finger. Because the guy puts it on his finger and it starts spinning around his finger. But, and it won't stop. He can't, he, he gave it a spin. Like he tapped it to spin it. And now it will not stop. It's yeah. spinning on his finger. So the, <laughs> The guy's freaking out, and the other guy's like, oh, that must be worth a lot of money. <laughs> Which I'm pr- pretty sure, like, right now is when he gives them the lobster eyes and the floating napkins. Mm. Really? I So those black things that he's, like, that are, like, long and kind of thin that he, like, squeezes and they light up. Yeah. I'm pretty sure those are the lobster eyes. And that, that ring thing, I think, is the floating napkin. Oh, okay. I think. That would make sense. Because when I when like you know later I was like, what are they talking about? I've never heard of these things either. But I'm pretty sure Red just gave them these things. Right. So oh, what was the okay? So he goes he goes to the bar and he gets absolutely trashed. And while he's there, he gets caught by the guys that know that he was he was like in the zone. So they are there when he shows up though. Because he goes, because the bartender of the borscht is also who hooks them up to sell the um, swag, usually, right? Mm-hmm. So when he gets there, he notices that there are like three guys who he doesn't recognize. And one of them is like pretending to clean the floor. The other one is standing at like the end of the bar, and the other one is standing by the door. And when Red comes in, the one guy basically moves to block the door behind him. Yeah, and so Red immediately is like, uh, kind of what, like you know, what's going on? And he talks to the bartender, and the bartender's acting super weird. And then Red, Red is obviously smarter than that. He puts two and two together. He's like, okay, these guys are here to arrest me. Yeah, and he there's like there's like a trap door in the borscht, and he like it, escapes. Yeah. yeah, I like that. He he's used it so many times too to get used to it that he can run through it even in the pitch black dark yeah Yeah, i like that 
so yeah so so he gets arrested for a couple minutes but he ends up escaping and he gets out and he calls gouda and he's like hey i've been found out don't i'm, I'm gonna go to jail don't worry you will have enough money like i promise you you will never have to worry about money yeah. and then he calls his clients back and he he tells them about some hell slime that he has hidden yeah because he's he's taken it out before out of the zone mm -hmm. so but he didn't he didn't want to sell it because he right. felt like nobody really should have that yeah but he calls those same clients and he's like look i hid some slime it's here he says there's some other stuff in there too you take that stuff he said but you have to promise me that gouda will be taken care of yeah you know, any amount of money he says anything she needs you better be there to give it to her while i'm locked up because he says he's going to turn himself in yeah so yeah and then and then red gives himself up to the police and that's like the end of section two right and this starts section three which is personally my favorite and so we open with richard noonan which is he oh, what is he he's like a supply contractor for the institute right so so i'll read you the title of it so it's richard h noonan 51 years old, a representative of electronic equipment suppliers to the Harmont branch of the league. Oh, sorry, my thing's going to start playing. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be like license. Huh. So, yeah, he's an electronic equipment supplier to the Harmont Institute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't even really know how to, to start with this part. So it like opens with Noonan, and he's like kind of like patting himself on the back. He's like, man, I'm so good at my job. I'm the best. And then he gets a call, and it's like, hey, uh, we need to talk to you about blah, blah, blah account. And he's like, ooh, they're going to praise me some more, I bet. I can't wait. And he goes there, and it's like immediately clear that that's not what's happening at all. Right. And it's kind of revealed that Noonan is actually – he's like a covert operative, and he's trying to – stop people going into the zone is what he's doing and this and this guy is actually a really good friend of of red yeah yeah well it it behooves rit noonan because he's a contractor so if if stuff is being taken illegally from the zone that doesn't do him any good basically right uh, and we do get a little thing too. I think it's kind of important to mention that that the institute has like these robots that they use that go into the zone, but they're kind of like bumbling and stupid and just like pick up random stuff. Right. Also, I'm just guessing they don't really talk about this, but I'm guessing they would lose robots a lot to like bug traps and stuff because yeah, obviously yeah. they're not going to know they're there. Right. And so he, so Noonan had submitted a report recently that he like, he thinks that he had completely shut down all the illegal selling of things out of the zone, like like he he thinks he's basically stopped all the stalkers that are going in and out of the zone. Yeah, he tells this guy like the name of all active stalkers in and out of that zone that he knows or has ever known of, minus. So they only talk about stalkers that clearly know what they're doing they go in they get swag they come back out he said because there's a lot of upstarts who just go in and get themselves killed yeah and he said obviously back. yeah he said obviously i don't know who those people are 
Right. And and all of these known stalkers all have a name, like the Maltese and stuff like that. Like, right. if you're well-known, you kind of have a nickname. Yeah. Yeah, the Vulture and yeah. stuff like that. And, but but basically, this guy's like, actually, you're dumb because there's more stuff coming out than ever before. And he, like, lists all the stalkers, and he's like, these their fingerprints are on it. You have no idea what's going on. You you have you like you are not controlling this at all. You are basically a failure. Why like why are we even paying you? What are right. you doing? Yeah, and the biggest one that they cite is Burberish. Yeah, and which is the bullshit. Noonan. Yeah, and Noonan's like that's impossible. He doesn't even have any legs. How can right. he? How can he be selling so much swag? But they're like, look, you know, uh, Burberish is running these. Uh, like weekend retreats for people, and Noonan's well, like, yeah, that I know come that. Up yet. That isn't that in the first conversation he has with these guys. That that I don't that guy doesn't bring it up, but he bring the the he brings it up when he goes and talks to like his stalker that's running his his uh his freaking brothel. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah, his like bodyguard dude. That's right. <laughs> who who they call Kitty? Yeah. And he's which, like this Which is huge supposedly dude. Mongolian for king. Right. Kitty Hamfists. Yeah, that's right. Kitty Hamfists. <laughs> which Noonan like shows up and he just starts kicking the shit out of Hamfist. So, yeah, because Hamfist is a stalker, right? Right. But he's also – so basically the way I – the way this part read to me is that Noonan is playing both sides of the coin. He is. He's, he's in – with the stalkers and he's in with the government as well he's he's turning stalkers in while also collecting money off of swag so he's doing both because this guy specifically says because noonan's kicking the shit out of him and he's like where's all the swag how does burberich have all the swag and the guy's like i don't know and that's when noonan's like where's my swag why don't we have any swag and i get the vibe that Kitty's just not in the loop. No, he sounds kind of dumb. He, I, I think he is dumb. He's like the, he's basically the muscle. Like he sounds like the hired muscle. But I, I get the vibe that the other stalkers don't trust him. Right. Yeah, they've and, probably already found him out. Basically, they know what and, he's doing. And so, like what what you were talking about, like he he brings up that Burbridge has these weekend picnics for tourists. That's right. And they they like they they go somewhere and they leave and they refer to it as Sunday school, right? And, and so Burbridge is like setting up these stalkers to go into the zone, like yeah. But Kitty knows nothing about it. Yeah, and Kitty failed to tell Noonan about this because he just assumed that that's what it was was a weekend picnic and yeah. noonan's like well obviously that's when they're collecting the swag is when you lose track of him that's when they're yeah. getting the swag yeah and and then so this kind of leads to the next part of the book which is probably my favorite part when noonan meets with dr valentine which which is pillman from the beginning right and they and they kind of talk about like like where like where is all this going like how does how do these zones end? Like, what does this mean for humanity? I like and, this part too, because Pillman's like, I don't drink. 
Rosalie, get me a cognac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cognac. A large shot this time. Yeah. <laughs> I just love how he's like, I don't drink. But realistically, what he's saying is like, I don't drink cheap beer or vodka. Like, <laughs> and, and, they, and, they, and, and they like go and they like break down all the items that have been found. And like basically the only super useful thing so far is these spacels, which is like an unlimited battery that they can get to asexually reproduce. Right. Which is kind of cool. This is also where the title of the book comes from, is this conversation. So, yeah, they talk about, like, what what was the point of the visit? And, like, Valentine brings up a couple of things. He's like, I don't know. Maybe they left the technology here for us so that we could understand it. And then once we understand it, we'll be able to contact them. Right. But he's like, that's not really what I believe happened. He's like, what I believe happened was, like, have you ever been on a roadside picnic? And he's like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he's like, you know, you have a picnic. There's like beer cans strewn everywhere. There's just garbage all over the place. There's there's a monkey wrench that somebody dropped out of their pocket. There's children's toys. There's oil rags. There's an oil filter. There's just garbage everywhere. Yeah, because apparently in Russia, when they have picnics, they yeah. uh, change their car's oil when they do that. And they just... Russia's a different country, man. I mean, I'm not saying that's what they do, but just the way they wrote it in the book is this guy is basically saying, like, if you went on a picnic and you changed the oil in your car, you just dump the oil on the ground, you throw the filter in the bushes, you know, you might change the spark plugs while you're there, you you throw your dirty rags on the ground. Yeah, and so it kind of sets up this. So, and I mean, it's it's never it's never. Exp- explicitly explained like this is exactly what happened but to me the aliens just showed up had a picnic made a mess of the place and left yeah and basically what we as humans are seeing is the things that they to them probably mean nothing and they just discarded them and left them behind and and these things are so alien that their mere presence here permanently changed the environment right which I, I really like the picnic thing because, yeah, he's talking about, like, if you drain the oil out of your car out in the middle of the woods, that that is now leaving an obvious oil spot, and it's probably going to, you know, kill the grass, kill any any animals that get into it, anything like that. And he's basically mm-hmm. saying that, to him, that's what it looks like they did here. And something which which had been mentioned before, but we kind of forgot to mention it is that people that have been dead for years inside of the zones oh, yeah. are getting up and coming home. Yeah, they, not, come, not they with like, like come back to life. Not with like any nefarious thing, but almost just like a puppet on puppet strings just going about their old routines. Right, yep. I, for, yeah, I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> Cause it's well, kind of because it's deal. not really that important. But they don't, it is a big deal like to us, but when like when you read it, basically because at this point the zones have been there for almost 20 years yeah, so they're like it's not thing. new yeah it's it's you know they're like it's not that big of a deal well and they also mention that anybody that had been in the zone during the time of the visit that didn't wasn't killed if they were to move to somewhere else that place would be hit by like natural disasters and like horrible things would continuously happen to them right. if they leave the zone and it's it it's crazy to me like it it doesn't really i mean it's 
like like that has, has so much of an effect on you like and and it, it can be directly tracked and it can be directly like correlated to how many people immigrated to that specific place yeah and it's like bizarre stuff too and the example they use is like uh so he uh valentine tells noonan he's like you know you live in harmont but you weren't born here so he said you could leave and you could live a happy life you'd be fine he said but now imagine you lived here after the visit and uh or you lived here during the visit basically and you were born here he said now you decide you want to go be a barber in toronto and you'd go there and 200 of your clients after they visit you and they get a haircut they die in some sort of weird tragic accident mm -hmm. And he's like, these are the kinds of things we're tracking from the zone that happen around the zone. Yeah, and 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 they mentioned too the the like the the weird physiological changes that happen to stalkers that just have spent too long in the zone. And and, and we their kind children. of no, not not even just that though, but even the people themselves, because Redrick brings it up in that section too, when he's like, I had that weird feeling like I was in the zone, but I wasn't. Right. Like, so even going into the zone changes you. I also like that a lot of this really messes with Noonan's head. Because Noonan's like, you mean the aliens didn't even notice us when they showed up? Yeah. And and Pillman's like, probably not. The way, the way they interacted with our world, they might not have noticed us at all. Yeah, like they're so alien. And that's one of the things I really like about this book, which is an interesting take on like alien life is like why would it be anything like us at all yeah and i've had that i've i've sort of come to that kind of conclusion too that like um we just assume that like oh you know aliens are gonna look like the grays or whatever and it's like well number one how, why would they be humanoid shaped at all nothing right. saying they have to be humanoid shaped and then I love how Pillman says, how do we know what intelligent is? Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I love this part where he's like, we just assume we're intelligent because we're not like other animals. But he said, how do we know we don't look like animals to aliens or another type of intelligence? Yeah. Yeah, and, and anything able to make contact would be intelligent. Right. Yeah, but like, but maybe, maybe like that, that intelligence isn't something that we would necessarily understand. Right, exactly. Yeah, so this, this, I think this conversation, it's, it's not quite the highlight, but it is, it is very interesting because this is where you're going to learn a lot about the zone. Yeah, this, this is like the key part in the book where you're really, you learn like why the zone is there what goes on kind of in the zone that they don't know still anything about the zone even 20 years later yeah yeah super super interesting but from here uh he goes and visits uh redrick he at his house and, yeah because redrick is recently released from jail like like very recently right yeah like within a day a couple days ago yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and this part is heartbreaking. Yeah. It is so heartbreaking. And so, yeah, he... 
he visits he visits him and and he's like he we get another scene with the monkey but she's definitely not human anymore at all like she can't even talk yeah she can't talk anymore and this it's also weird to burbridge right because he's like i swear i just saw her not that long ago and she was like a little kid and he says Mm -hmm. now it looks like she's grown a lot in like a week or whatever the time frame was yeah and also here at freaking red's house is his father who had been dead for a long time and had just wandered home one day okay see so i missed that point both times i listened to it but now it makes complete sense what do you mean i i didn't realize that his father was one of those like deceased got oh, up really no i it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me the first both times i listened to it because i was like i just assumed his dad was like a just super duper old man you know and he's just there and red's taking care of him but now that you say that i'm like okay i do remember now yeah red says something about his he, they basically kind of have it's almost like in passing that they talk about it that he died and he came back yeah yeah, and there's there's like this super heartbreaking scene of like the the monkey. She like puts her head on on her on her dad on her on his dead dad, and it's like it's like they have a weird connection almost. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah, it's super super troubling. And and Noonan is kind of like seeing all this, and he's like feeling really bad for Red, but then he's like, but this guy's a son of a bitch. And he's has to, he had to have been lying to me about all this shit because where is all this stuff from the zone coming from? Right. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Like this part is it's so sad. Like like I feel for Redrick because he he's just a man doing the only thing that he knows and the only thing that he's good at. But yeah. interacting with the zone has had so many adverse effects on his life. But it doesn't stop him. Well, and like, I, okay, so at this part too, right? They explain that when, okay, now it makes it makes way more sense to me. I must have been not listening very well when this happens. So now I get it. They explain that the authorities came to get his dad yeah. too, right? When he came back home, and then Red he beats the shit out of like eight of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're like they're like flung out the door. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So he basically defends his dad, and and that's why his dad is there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also at this scene. part, oh, I just was going to say, this part's also extremely messed up because, I mean, you're talking Red's been out of prison for, like, a day, and Burbridge is already at his house trying to convince yeah. him to go back into the zone. Yeah, like, but, well, <laughs> I... I, I get I get the feeling that like literally I, I know what he's trying to get him to do. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. Right. But like Red is the only one because like everybody else is just not as good in the zone as he is. <laughs> yeah, this I don't know, this part was very like uh it was I was like mixed on it, like I said the first time, because I at first I kind of completely missed the point of it but then now yeah the second time i i get it 
Yeah, it's oh, I mean, we get that scene too of like basically the whole time that Noonan is there, his Redrick's dad is trying to drink this glass of vodka that he was given. And at at one point it's like it's like somebody is controlling the like his puppet strings and he just throws the glass back in like a totally like a totally like alien like marionette way. Right. Yeah, and it's it's troubling. It's very, very troubling. So yeah, like the the zone is just completely inhuman. Like there it's just it, it is so alien that that it is like that we're never gonna understand it. Right. And and they do talk about too in this section that like anything that we've taken from the zone, we have not been able to recreate on our own. Like we cannot make our own of anything that's come out of the zone. Right. Like we can't make a copy of it at all and even come close. Like we, we can use some of the things, but we don't understand why they work the way that they do. Yeah. Okay. It's very interesting. Super, super interesting. And so we go to section four, which is the final section, which is it's from Redrick's point of view again. And he is in the zone with Arthur Burbridge. Yeah, which is the vulture's son. One one of his sons. One of them, yeah. Because, yeah, Burbridge has tons of kids and none of them are mutated. Right. Which, and actually, we forgot to mention earlier on when he talks, when Red talks to Burbridge's daughter, who's like supposedly, you know, voluptuous and incredibly hot and and it's it's weird to Redrick that none of his kids are have any mutations at all. Well, and none of his kids look like him. Also true, yeah. And he talks about how Arthur is also like a very handsome, good-looking dude and Red just can't understand, you know, cuz he the the vulture is kind of a son of a bitch and Red's one kid is mutated his father came back from the dead and came back to his house and all this weird stuff and yet the vulture who is a douchebag doesn't have any of the same problems well and and this section is kind of heavy on this and i think i think this is probably a good time to talk about it that the vulture like the way that he was able to get through the zone so much is by sacrificing other people to know where the bad things are right like he's he's a real piece of shit and he he kind of has led so many people to their death to get to what Redrick is trying to go, get to this time which is something called the golden sphere which is something we've heard about a lot in the book it's mentioned a lot a lot of people think it doesn't even exist and supposedly this is an artifact that grants wishes yeah and so this so this is what Burbridge was talking about when Red pulled him out was that he wants Red to get the golden circle, and he had given him the map to get there because Burbridge had seen it, but he wasn't able to get there, and, and we'll figure out why here in a minute. Right. And so, yeah, Arthur is with him, and, and Red is so bitter at this point, and he like almost doesn't even understand why he would go into the zone. Yeah, and he a lot of this is mostly Red sort of talking to himself, and just being bitter about the whole thing. Which I totally get it. And, and yeah, okay. 
Hang well, on. because I don't talk about this. like to me, this part Red is so bitter because he's there with Arthur, and Red walks in the back. Usually, whoever's leading in this area walks in the back, and he's telling Arthur exactly where to go to keep him alive. But they're also passing like body after body after body, and Red's like, you know, that's so and so, and that's so and so, and that's so and so, and all these guys came in here with the vulture. Like, yeah. He's so pissed because he's passing all these dead guys whose either their clothes are there or their body is still there. And he knows the vulture came in here with all of those guys. Yeah. And so, yeah, like like I already said, like the vulture had been sacrificing people trying to get to this golden sphere. Right. Even though, too, a lot of it, like, you know, he's like, there's so-and-so. He got stuck in a bug trap. There's so-and-so. He's in the slime. There's so-and-so. Like... A lot of this stuff is things that Red finds very pedestrian. Like, how are you going to get killed by a bug trap at this point? But the vulture was just letting these dudes walk into that stuff to, ner- well, to learn where it's at. I, I get the vibes that the vulture wasn't a very good stalker. That's what I get, too, yeah. And that's also Red's kind of mad at himself for even pulling him out. Well, and, and we, we did skip over this. So Red give when he gave the money to the vulture's daughter, she scolds him and she's like, "You had the opportunity to let that son of a bitch yes. die, and you yeah. didn't." Yep. Yeah, she's like, she basically says, "You should have left him there." Yeah. And then Red smacks the shit out of her. Yeah, Red smacks <laughs> a lot of people in this book. Yeah. Yeah, Red. Red don't care, man. <laughs> I I I think Red is such a well written character. For sure. Like. Because he he is someone that has the true ability in the zone, un, unlike Burbridge, but he's loyal. Yeah, so, almost to a fault. He, oh, yeah, almost to a fault. Yeah, because he could because to him, the vulture got himself into that. He stepped in the slime. He did it to himself. So Red's like, why should I stick my neck out for this guy who yeah. he knows had been taking people in there and getting them killed? Yeah, and. And I mean, we do get a couple scenes with Arthur, and like Ar- Arthur's like this young kid, and Ryan already mentioned he's like super handsome, and and they they go through like a lot of crazy stuff in the zone. Like this is where we really get to see like just how violent the zone the zone can be and unpredictable. Yeah. The zone can be. Yeah, like the freaking weird like, all of a sudden it just it starts to get hot, and red. You know he's like get down he yells at arthur to get down and they get down and then arthur it starts getting super hot to the point where red feels like it's burning his skin and his back but arthur gets up like he's gonna run and red grabs him and he's like you know get down get down it'll kill you get down and he forces this kid into the ground and even though red feels like he's on fire like that's what he describes it as he's on fire he's like oh. burn. and oh go ahead but the the zone is so weird that it he knows it'll pass. He knows it won't last forever. And then it finishes and they get up and Arthur's face is like blackened. It's like covered in ash and Red's like, man, there goes his handsome face. But yeah. then they get clean they get cleaned up, right? And Red's like, Oh no, he looks fine. Like nothing happened to him. Well, Same. and this is and this is where he starts ca- calling Arthur the talking key. Right. That's right. Which is so brutal. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. Actually, I don't think they get cleaned up because Arthur's like, "Can I just get cleaned up, sir, please?" And and Red literally doesn't even respond and just points. Well, he does mention that he cleans his face off, and that's when Red is like, "Oh, his face looks fine." Even though Red assumed he was like barbecued to nothing, his face looks well, fine. Yeah, and and Red realizes like that 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 whatever that heat wave thing actually didn't hurt them. Yeah, even though he said he felt like it was literally melting his skin. He and I quote, it burned my ass to the bone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then they like they like go through this like nasty, stinky swamp and and there's like a a freak lightning storm that's like right above their heads. Yeah, and that's... It, it like starts arcing down and like like just cracking rocks and stuff it's crazy right and that's what yeah this part is cool because it's like a full stock into the zone it's when they actually go into the zone and they're there for an extended period of time versus like in the beginning where they had like the hovercraft thing take them in take them out no big deal yeah yeah and so so they 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 get to where they know where the golden circle is and oh this this part is is so brutal and so Ar- arthur sees the golden circle and he runs towards it and he just starts screaming at the top of his lungs he's like happiness for everyone free and may no one be left behind like happiness for everyone yeah. and then seemingly out of nowhere he he gets he seems to get grabbed by something and it rings him out like a towel yeah picks him up into the air and that's exactly how it's described, as if you were wringing out a dishcloth to get the water out of it. Yeah. And so this this is what Red knew was coming, that there was something called a grinder in front of the Golden Sphere, and there was no way to get to it without sacrificing another person in order right. to, dis- to disable it for long enough for Red to go through there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why he was calling him the talking key. It's <laughs> yeah. so brutal. And originally, like the whole time, like Red is kind of thinking about what he's going to wish for when he gets to the Golden Sphere, and he wants to wish for the monkey to be human. But when he kind of gets to the the circle, he's like, I don't know what i want and then he like starts screaming at god and he's like don't you know me better than anyone just he's like just i like you know what i would wish for just wish for that for me yeah he also basically too then he says the same things arthur wanted he says happiness for everybody free and may no one be left behind yeah and that's where the book ends yeah yeah and then that's where it goes into the uh the after part kind of where he talks about having it um getting it translated and actually getting this book published and stuff like that yeah Um, which was a nightmare dude one part too about the end of this that's so messed up and again it didn't really click with me until the second time is that uh redrick knows that the vulture sent his son knowing exactly what needed to happen yeah and that's that's another reason Red is just like I should just let that son of a bitch die. He's like the the vulture is the worst of all of us, and he's the also the one basically living the high life off of everybody else. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, and and he kind of mentions that they're like these people are really prolific throughout his life. The people that have kind of built their life off the corpses of others. Yeah. Well, and like Red, the reason he goes through with this though is because the Vulture promises him five hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah. He or he says that's what this the golden ring is worth, the golden sphere. So that's when Red's like, I might give the Vulture thirty of that or something like that. Yeah. And but yeah, the whole time he knows that Burbridge knew exactly what had to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so brutal. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Oof. But overall though, yeah, super interesting and good story especially because what i liked about this book is that it's a sci-fi book with very little sci-fi yeah. things <laughs> like that's kind of what makes it cool actually yeah and i i don't know i i just i i appreciate that like especially the story is mostly told from just like a normal guy's point of view yeah and it's it's not like somebody who knows more about it than somebody who's just interacting with it all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't know, I, I I love it. I love how dark it is. It's so dark and, like, bleak and heartbreaking. And it's kind of funny at some parts, too. Like, some of the stuff Redrick has to say is pretty hilarious. Oh, Red is a great character. Yeah. I think that's what, I think he's actually my favorite part of the book, is that yeah. how good of a character Red is. Yeah, he he is. It's 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 good. <laughs> it's a pretty solid book. Like I said, I had my doubts the first time, but I think that's because I missed so many key points the first time I listened to it. Yeah, I was the first time I was I was like gripped, just like listening to it, staring at the ceiling. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean that is. You got any any wrap up stuff though on roadside picnic? Uh. No, but other than like this, this game is what like if you've ever played the Stalker games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. This it all almost came from this book, pretty much all of it, except for except for the zone isn't as hostile. There isn't just like wandering mutants. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean though. In the 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 book, it's it's just so much more tame. Like I said, it's not like a. Oh, they go to the zone, and even they even mentioned that in the beginning that that's what people assumed. You know, people were even already spreading rumors about that early on. That oh, there's there's mutants there, and they're they're snatching people up, and they're eating them. And Reds, they're like, no, none of that has happened. Like we can't prove any of that has happened. Yeah. So it's not your typical sci-fi like aliens in your face and alien technology being used and like i said your freaking schmergle jurgle and your your zippity doodahs there's none of that stuff which which is kind of what's what makes this book so unique in my opinion yeah yeah like there are sci-fi elements but they're mostly like benign or or like don't have a, a use right like i said it's very subtle stuff it's not in your face sci-fi which i actually kind of appreciated yeah me too because i'll compare it to you've listened to hard luck hank right 
Oh, yeah. Don't, yeah. What? Why are you bringing that freaking dumpster fire up? Because that is my that is my counterpart to this book. That is a all sci-fi, all the time, in-your-face sci-fi type of book. And I don't like that very often. Like, it, it's – a book like that is almost sci-fi for sci-fi's sake. You know what I mean? Like, they're using right. that as the crux of their story, whereas this one – Sci-fi is almost like an afterthought of the whole story. Well, this is a very human story. Yes, yeah. And that's a good way to put it, yeah. It's a human story that just happens to have sci-fi elements that interact with it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's you could tell this story in the same way and in, in, in just being like, oh, we dug up this. You know what I mean? Like like humans naturally stumbled across something. Right. Instead this of like a big be. event happening from outside sources. Sure. Yeah. But that's also what makes this so cool and so compelling. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I love this book. I, this is such an interesting take on alien life to me. Sure. I agree. I thought like, that was a, was a very yeah. cool take. Yeah. Like they're so alien that they didn't even notice us when they were here. Yeah. I I do love that exchange where they talk about like, oh, why did the visit happen? And they're like, we have no idea. There's tons of theories, which is what we do as humans as we come up with theories as to why. Yeah, but, and 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 Newton is like mad at all the theories that basically are like, mm, it had nothing to do with us. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And Newton's like, mm, I don't I don't want to believe that. Yeah, because he doesn't want to feel that insignificant. Which is so true in just, like, science as it is today. Right. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, this book is just refreshing to me. There's also a movie, right, that was called Stalker? Mm-hmm. I have to check that one out. It is, it's, so, if, if, if anything comparing to the Solaris movie, like, like, Russian, like, like movies are so slow so so slow right sure which which this book is slow too it kind of is but at the same time i think it's it's well paced it is well paced almost every time i've listened to it i'm like whoa it's almost over already i kind of did that too the second time i was like oh i'm almost at the end like but it is it is well paced like it's not they don't do very bad about like hitting you with a hard hook and then dragging you on until mm-hmm. you hit a climax. They do a good job of like they hit you with a good hook, but then they don't pull back so far that it gets boring. Yeah. And I've been waiting to talk about this for like a month and a half. I know. <laughs> I feel like I probably did most of the talking this episode. Hey, it's all good, man. It is a good book, and I'm glad that you found it and – and that we decided to talk about it because yeah, it's it's a solid listen, and I do feel like it's kind of a hidden gem for sure. Yeah, I'm, I mean, people who know about Stalker know about it, but that's really it, right? And I would say that anybody who's played the Stalker games, you know, because I I downloaded all of them and I've only started to play. I played a little bit of the first one, but definitely if you've played that game, do yourself a favor and listen to this book to oh, understand sure. where that content comes from. For sure. Yeah, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. If I think if you play those games and you haven't checked the book out. Right. Yeah, definitely. So what are we doing next time? 
think we're going to try and do some September originals. Well, September with, original. Which is, if somebody knows something I don't, please explain this to me. I couldn't actually find a dedicated, like, these are your available originals for this month like have been in the past i think they changed the structure to be more like netflix yeah and so what i've also noticed with prime or with uh excuse me with audible while i was going through it this time is that if you have an audible membership you also now sort of like with netflix have all these included stories that you can just download at any time you want which to me is how it always should have been yeah, because, it really makes no sense the other way. Yeah, because the way the structure normally is is that you pay a monthly subscription and then you get one free book a month and then you would pay for all the rest if you wanted more than one a month. Um, whereas now, there are a bunch of books available to you as well as others that you can pay for should you choose to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if... We'll see how things go. I did pick two that I found, so we'll see if we can finish them both. I thought we were doing Dracula. Oh, did you not get my text after that? I guess not. Oh, well, I... I've been listening to Dracula. Oh, great. I've been listening to this dragon squisher (laughs) from Scott McCormick. Oh, that's right. Did you just uh, have a dirt moment there for a second i don't think so i'm pretty sure i texted you right afterwards and said i found them let's do these two hang on where's my phone anyways this is a this is a conversation we can have off of the air so either way hopefully next we're gonna do some sort of audible original to give people um maybe something along those lines to listen to so but if the structure of uh Audible has changed to where there's no longer like a set section of originals that you can choose from for free, then we might have to just restructure this part of the podcast anyways, because it won't make quite as much sense as what it used to. Which I feel like I already know what we'll just do. Yeah, so if anybody has any suggestions, uh, again, please feel free to email us, kotpl.pod at gmail.com, and, you know, let us know what you guys think. Yeah, please. Uh, anything else? Anything else we need to mention? I think I'm good. Okay, so yeah. Hope to catch you guys in the next one and stay out of the zone.